Dave Fryer. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. This is the first podcast of the new year. George Schlitz is joining me. George, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. Um, thank you for making time in your day. We're hopefully going to offer a message of hope. We're also going to talk about the fact that this may be the darkest timeline as far as Agile is concerned. So for all you community fans out there, George runs Adaptivity Group, which we're going to talk about. And I worked for George in the past. But when you're talking to somebody who who is familiar with the space that we're in, Agile transformation, you know, business transformation, things like that, how do you explain what you do? Uh, a really tough question, but uh, let's see. I think I try to boil it down to the to its simplest form, which is that um, I and the people in my company help uh, organizations change and actually get the results they want to out of their changes. Okay. So it's uh, it's a lot about improvement. Um, it is a lot about different kinds of methods and frameworks, but more importantly, it's about really doing what's needed to get the results from the improvement uh, that we're hoping for. Okay. And that, and that's kind of the jumping off point for the conversation. So one of the things that happened to me about a week ago, I saw a post from a friend of ours, Evan, who has joined your company. Um, and that got me to go to the website and I saw some of the statements you have about what the company does. And there were two things in particular that really stuck out. Um, one of the statements is that your company is pursuing an unquenchable thirst for better and that you have a fearlessness about the unknown. Not that the other two things aren't important, which I'll let you talk about those, but those two particular things are things, I think if it was a company that I didn't know and people that I wasn't familiar with, I think that some marketing group just came up with them. But knowing you, I would imagine that those things are there with great intent and that you are really focusing on making them a part of how you guys approach your work. So um, how do you explain adaptivity group to people? Well, uh Sure. I'm just and, uh, throwing them as fast as I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> the, uh, first, we don't have marketing people on staff, so <laughs> it makes uh, your conclusion pretty uh, straightforward to come to. Um, hopefully, it's about the you know the things that we actually do that let lead you to believe that. Um, yes, it is not marketing fluff. It might sound that way. Um, we we are about improvement. Uh, I have been working in improvement and change. We're all getting close to 30 years now, yeah. which is kind of scary. We're all very and, old. And uh, that, what was that? We're all very old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Try not to think about it too much, but uh, it, it, it gives me a chance to kind of reflect upon the things that have gone well and the things that have not gone so well. And times like now, in particular, that's really important because uh, over that time, we saw lots of things. We would always see when bringing in, whether it's a new approach or a new method or helping leaders lead better, process improvements, whatever the case may be, it's always easy to see um, short-term results when people try something new. Um, What's not so easy is for a whole organization within a company or for even harder, an entire company to benefit. Uh, It's also much harder to see those benefits lasting. Yeah. Um, so what we realized is we're not, one of the things that went wrong was we were more, meant, this is many years ago, we've changed a lot since then, but um, in the early days, we were very much focused on the thing we were introducing, the new way, the new process, the new methodology, whatever it is. Yeah. And not so much focused on really what is the outcome we want to get, um, that being better. And so that kind of got us well, that better The outcome was just to do scrum. It was, it was. And, uh, and a lot of people in our community that are talking about 
outcome yeah. now. They're distinguishing outcome from activity or outcome from output. Yeah. Activities are the things we do. Outputs are the things we create, document, a product, whatever. The outcomes are really what results and, and eventually impact as the long-term results, you know, why have we done this stuff in the first place? So uh, that's that's what we're all about now is trying to focus much more on outcomes than on particular activities. Okay. Though we still bring some of that stuff in. All right. So I would normally save a question like this till the end, but I'm going to go super deep right out of the gate. Um, you've been at this for a long time. And I'm curious if, if you like 20 years from now, you look back, what would you want people to say the outcome of your time in this field was? How do you change the space? How do you, George, change the space that we're in? The space we're in. Um, I would love for that, my impact to be helping this, our community, helping the people that we do, who do what we do to separate themselves from the methods and really be truly about uh, the impact they're having with customers, clients, whomever, or their own organizations. Okay. Cool. So changing the language so it's not so dogmatic. It's uh, it becomes you know very objectively about the results, about how have we improved, and then using the other stuff. It's kind of like what what my company does. So it would be the same thing, I think. <laughs> okay, so that I'm going to use that as my springboard into the dark side of the conversation. So I'm just yeah. going to set this up. We were talking about this yesterday. You could think of it as the darkest hour, the movie about church Churchill, right? That's Churchill. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, Gary Oldman movie, or uh, in the show Community, they had a, a bit about the darkest timeline where some things had occurred, and if you lived in a multiverse, they had somehow springboarded into the, the darkest possible version. So if it was Star Trek, Captain Kirk would be walking around with his Van Dyke beard, um, but in their case, it was just certain things that had happened that created a lot of negative things. And what what I see, if I look at it from a very negative position, in the in the I'll say agile space, but I think it's more than that now. Um, we've all spent a lot of years trying to help people adopt certain practices with the intent that they achieve outcomes. A lot of those companies have become fatigued with all that change. They have implemented some of those processes in a not entirely effective way. Um, so they have not seen the results that they were hoping for. And they've decided to make a lot of changes. So some of them have decided they're moving on from agile. Um, didn't really get them what they wanted. They're going back to more traditional approaches. They are combining or eliminating different uh, roles in a way that places an, obs an obscene amount of work on one person's shoulders in a way that they will never be able to be successful in it. Um, and it just, to me, it feels like the business world is tired and it doesn't want to try anymore. So it's just going to sit on the couch and eat a bunch of Big Macs and just lose weight that way. <laughs> so that was that. the most yeah. negative way I could think of painting the picture. But I mean, we know we both know tons of coaches that are highly skilled people who can do this stuff all day long. They're not getting jobs. Um, AI is definitely not helping in terms of the hiring process for the screening that's going on. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of as many negative situations as I can, but just want to see what your thoughts are on that? I mean, is it as bad as I'm painting it? Am I being too negative about it? Uh, I guess it depends on the perspective. Uh, if your perspective is about 
the uh, kind of the agile community, the, the, the concept of agility, the, princi- the agile principles, everything associated with it, yeah. uh, and the work that was tied to that agile coaching, training, uh, transformation, any of these things. Then, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty dark okay. um, because what you're describing has been happening for a long time. Uh, it, there's a lot of change mm-hmm. involved to become more agile, so to speak, uh, to implement any of these methods and product development or anywhere else in the organization. Yeah. Uh, that That is really tiring. And over time, if you're not doing certain things, it's going to result in reversion and, yeah. and other problems. Uh, that's happened in so many companies. I do think that uh, uh, whenever I see uh, an article or uh, some social media posting about a company that's gotten rid of the product owners or whoever, I'm pretty sure that this is what's happened. Uh, the things that we'll be talking about in a moment. Um, that uh, and, and that that makes for when a lot of it happens, the the name of agile is to blame. Mm-hmm. You know? So we say, oh, agile didn't work for us, or agile failed, or. Uh, Agile is dead. Yeah. Starts the narrative starts becoming something like that. So yeah, I think I think it has occurred. I think it is real, um, and I think uh, unless something's done, it's going to be agile will go the way of uh, Six Sigma, Lean, TQM. Add your framework or paradigm here. Right. Uh, they all have the similar kind of situation where there's a lot of energy around the improvement, and then it eventually dies down and becomes a fad. Okay. So there's a big part of me that feels like it's not that Agile didn't fulfill its promise. It's just that most of the people who are doing it are not doing it well, and they're not doing it with enough discipline to make it work. And that's because it's built on the back of a lot of legacy systems and cultural organizations and all the other stuff. I mean, there's a million reasons why. But I'm wondering if what your opinion is on this. Maybe it's the word Agile that has to die and the practices or, or what they're supposed to deliver can live on? Uh, I think it's, I, I definitely have some opinions of the, uh, on this. And I think it's important to really get behind what we're saying when we say that. Uh, if you say Agile did not fulfill its promise, I would say generally speaking, that's probably true. Why did that not happen? Is it because there's an inherent flaw in Agile methods or any of these other things? I don't think so, because when you really kind of pull back the covers and see what's going on in any organization, you see one, one example of what you see is what you said. It's in poor implementation. Uh, you know, the, maybe the people didn't have knowledge about how to do it. Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons. The important thing, though, is that, uh, well, a bunch of important things. One is that there are other reasons than just misimplementation. So okay. saying it's about misimplementation is pointing fingers at the practitioners, at the people the people in any company who championed it or tried to do it the first we time. You have to hold them well accountable, the, George. <laughs> well, I like accountability. I love it. I actually think accountability and responsibility are things that are missing from so many org- organizations right now. Yeah. I think it's one of the biggest problems I see over and over again. But that, maybe that's another talk. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that it is. Uh, I think I think when we do responsibility and, and accountability, um, knowing not just focusing it on one party so that it becomes a witch hunt okay. uh, is really important because everybody had a part to play in when these, when these things happened. Yeah. The practitioners, the trainers, coaches, whoever, the people who are introducing it. And more overlooked are the people in the organization who didn't do what they needed to to 
uh, to change their organizations so that the new ways could even thrive or even be successful at all. Okay. Which is my biggest focus okay. these days. So when you were talking, I started thinking about the fact that my my original understanding of Agile, I learned about XP. And it was all about small teams and we were building stuff that didn't exist before. So it's a little bit easier to stand up a team or even a couple of teams to work on something where like, this is brand new. But I, I would venture to say that XP and Scrum and a lot of the other practices were not really designed with the intent of implementing them at a hundred year old financial, hundred year old financial institution that was going to have like oceans of legacy culture, waterfall process, restrictions. I mean, not that they can't work there, but that there was so much solidified, hardened stuff that they were going to have to chip through to get it to fit, that a lot of that is what's causing this problem. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, similar to you, I, my Agile journey started with extreme programming when I was a software developer myself. Okay. And um, that was a long time ago. But uh, I want to slightly disagree, but mostly okay. agree. Uh, it was in a financial services company where we had tons of legacy code and we had COBOL systems okay. and on mainframes. And, and so we found ways to do things like automation, automated testing and whatnot. Okay. We found ways to do that. So the part that I agree with there is that or some kinds of organizations have more challenges, more obstacles to be becoming more agile than others. Okay. Um, and it doesn't have to be just old school technology. It could also be organizational culture and yeah. bureaucracy. Where you have a lot of that, it's going to be incredibly difficult. Where you have a, a consensus cultures that don't want to make decisions, going to be hard to do it. Yeah. Uh, so then it's not about, I think it's less about Agile being designed for a particular type of organization, okay. more about the organization you're in. What are the things that are going to get in the way that need to be worked on? while that team is doing that agile thing and what are they willing to sacrifice in order to get the promise of agility yeah yeah and are they willing to get rid of you uh, everybody who's done agile coaching or training or if you've introduced it in your own organization you're familiar with how agile bumps into some organizational and cultural walls and yeah. doesn't match how people are managing the management styles and all these other things that's what i'm talking about the the organ in order to get those long term benefits in order for us to not have the sad state of affairs that we have now companies have to go and ask the questions if i want to be more nimble as a company yeah. is this way going to help me do that is is this agile stuff actually showing that hey there's something here that we might need to change and am i willing to even uh, entertain that notion most okay. many companies have not do you think they need to be asking a different question now than they were asking? I mean, we met in like 2009, 2010 at that mm -hmm. scrum gathering in Chicago. Do you think they need to be asking a different question now than they were asking back then? Or solving a different uh, problem sure. that they were, than they were solving? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the problem back then was better, more efficient, more effective de delivery, building software, uh, and uh, that that the solution at that time was things like uh, everything you see in XP and Scrum and, and whatnot, the iteration and customer feedback and uh, high quality all the time yeah. and automate all those things. Well, at that time, maybe software development was in such a sorry state that that was basically the constraint for many many organizations, and I believe that's true. Yeah, um, and I believe that what we realize now is that. 
there are other constraints to becoming more nimble or more adaptive, you choose the word, more agile. And they're not necessarily all delivery. You improve the delivery engine, you'll be churning out more stuff that might not be the right stuff. Okay. Uh, Or you'll be... Or you'll have teams that the leaders and managers don't know don't know how to lead or understand what they're doing or how to enable, yeah. and the list goes on. So I think yes, different question. Absolutely, the question should be who do we, what do we want to be like as an organization, as a business? What does our business look like? What's the impact we want to have? Can we do that now? And what needs to change about our business and our organization to be better at that? Is it better, faster delivered? Is it leaders who can enable self-managing teams or, or leaders who have a growth mindset, the, the list goes on. So that, that's the question. I think it needs to be more holistic. Okay. So for a long time, I've thought of like companies as sort of like teenagers, right? They're trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. And with what you just described, it kind of leads my brain in that direction. And when I was like 17, I had no idea what the hell I was doing, but I told, my response to everything was, I got a plan. No problem. And I, I read, nothing worked. Like everything I did was failure. But um, I was so convinced that I knew what I was doing was right that I wasn't willing to entertain a lot of objection or questioning. I was just sure this was the way. Is that a fair way to characterize a lot of the business world right now? That it's kind of like a 17 year old that's convinced it knows that like playing with match and gasoline is a perfectly normal thing to do on a Friday night? Uh, I think that's one way to look at it. Uh, an interesting, th- I, if I am uh, f- tracking with the with the analogy, then um, I might say that businesses, especially big companies, big organizations, let's say, yeah. uh, might always be in that state prob- because uh, of the way they're organizing. Even like if you have uh, when you have a lot of silos and a lot of separated functional groups, they're they're all going to kind of run into that over and over again. Okay. Uh, so I think that might be in, because of how we organize, we might be in a, some companies might be in a perpetual state of that. Okay. So they're not, um, they're, they want an outcome, but maybe they're not at this point able to hear the message of what they need to do to get the outcome. They might not, but some are, uh, okay. to your point. Um, I talk to a lot of leaders at many different companies of different sizes, and the conversation has shifted wholesale oh. uh, from like what you were saying in, you know, 10 years ago and earlier, there was all about, oh, we need to do agile. We need to be agile. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. We need to. Uh, what do they want now? The list was that? What do they want now? Well, yeah. So we're hearing a lot more. They don't want that. Okay. And part of it is, is, is the narrative. <laughs> Whatever that isn't. Before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't, we tried that. Didn't work here. There's a lot of that. And, but when you talk to them, when you understand what it is they do want, they do still want to be the things that they wanted to be 10 years ago. They want to be more adaptive. They want better, uh, uh, customer relationships. They want to learn more from customers and have better products. They want to deal with competition and change better. They're, those things are still the same. Okay. Um, what they're asking for is different. They, they don't have a language for it. Like agile is what they ask for. Unfortunately, they were asking for the wrong thing in many cl- many cases, yeah. or an insufficient thing. So I think it's better. Uh, it's not better for uh, for most though, because it's a harder question to answer for the you know consulting companies to to deal with that, and or anyone to say, how can I help you? Well, we have to figure out. We have to do some more work figuring out what it is you really need. Yeah, and the, and is it 
I'm going to stop being like Mr. Negative Guy in a few minutes, but is it safe to assume that they're still looking for like, just give me the, the easy button or the one thing I can buy that'll fix my problem? There's a lot of that. I think that will be the case until uh, something changes in uh, some companies more than others yeah. uh, with the, the, the kind of the culture and the values of the company. Okay. Uh, for each organization. And more broadly, I think we have a, we have a values problem. Um, oh, okay. Say more I about that. Or, uh, in, yeah, yeah. In the business. Um, uh, like I said, I work with a lot of companies. Uh, you, in every single one of them, I see a huge problem with overcommitment. Um, look, what looks like we can prove overcommitment with data. We can prove sure. these teams are signed up for way more than they can get done. We can also prove that overcommitment is going to work, result in you being slower, having more problematic developers, There's a whole bunch of things. That's all absolutely true. Now, um, the other part of it, though, is the more the why behind it is a value of more. The thing that's important okay. for most managers in the organizations that we work that I work in, which is a lot of them, um, is the most important thing to them is more. It's not customer outcomes. It's not impact we're having. They're very several steps removed from that. Okay. It's more. Give me more stuff. And until that changes, uh, it's going to be hard to move the needle on that. So part of the work that we do is help people recognize that and to start to do something about that. Okay. How does um, – I want to get to how the company works then in a second. I just have a follow-up for that one. When you said they have a value of more – Right after talking about overcommitment, I was also thinking they have a value of fear because I see people overcommitting or pushing overcommitment on teams because there's this fear that either we can't admit that we're not going to do it all or like we're just going to have to power through and figure it out like the miracle will happen at some point. Um, it's sort of like multitasking. There are no scientific studies saying people can do it, but everybody wants it. Right. All these companies are overcommitting. You say there's an ocean of data that, yes, we can prove to them that it's not going to work, but they're still going to do it anyway. And that I would, is it too reductive for me to say that that's driven by fear? No, no, I think, um, I think uh, we, like I said, we work on this exact problem all the time. And every single time I've gone in, and, do and dove into what's behind the actual leaders and managers making the decisions they make yeah. to overcommit. There's always a fear-based reason for it. Okay. Now, is fear some kind of boogeyman that's going and, and pulling the strings and making this happen? No, I don't believe that. That's a distraction. Yeah. However, yes, that's the feeling they have. They're afraid. What are they afraid of? They're afraid to look bad. Something like this, like you, you said yeah. it a moment ago. They're afraid to look like they can't get it all done. In fact, uh, a recent example, and I've had this example multiple times, so that's why I'm comfortable sharing it. Um, working with a very large, successful company, and we were helping them become more effective, uh, deliver more high-quality product, et cetera. There's a whole bunch of things. Right. And it was very clear that their biggest problem was they were overcommitting across all of their teams and across all their groups. Prove this out. Yeah. And we, like I said before, we were, we were able to easily show how overcommitment results in them actually going slower. Uh -huh. And the leader of, a, of an engineering group, um, leader of many teams, a very senior, senior, senior VP level person, 
um, got it. I was like, wow, I realize we have to, we have to focus, but in front of his peers and in front of a, the, their boss, which is a CXO level person, that person very courageously said, I know we have an overcommitment problem and we have to help teams focus by saying no, by allowing them to do what their capacity says and a whole bunch of other things. But I can't do it. Because if I say, yeah, I was like, I, the beginning of it, I was so excited. He's like, yes, he's saying it. And then it shifted. Yeah. Because his answer was, I can't do it. Because if I say I can't get all this stuff done, time. I'm going to look bad yeah. versus that other VP over there. This is the top level of the organization. So when, when that happens and you don't have leaders who are willing to deal with that, and right. I said before, it's a value, they value more. They don't value other things and not able to dissect this and work on it. Yeah. You're not going to have any hope for, uh, for solving the problem. But it was amazing that this person shared that. Uh, it was very validating for, for the research that we've done. It's also really interesting to show how powerful that fear you're talking about yeah. is. Well, I mean, and if you say that, you know, no, we're overcommitting, we have to stop doing that. And I want to take your job and say, I got it. I'll get us through it. Cause I I'll do yeah. something, but I'll have all that time in the role. I mean, it's almost like that scene in Moneyball when all those guys are sitting around the table talking about five tool players they watch, and their gut tells them this guy's going to perform. And then there's somebody with data, and they're like, "Yeah, whatever for your data." Right. <laughs> your silly data. Yeah, you know it is like that. Actually, I'm going to watch that again because I with this uh, lens on because I I think there are a lot of similarities yeah. there. The data is compelling, um, you know, and in, and sometimes I encourage people, uh, whether we're in a talk like this or, or it's a, a colleague or a friend at another company, and I'll say, look, go ahead and go to your teams. A lot of people knock the burn down charts, but take a look at all the burn down charts. Yeah, they're not great for certain things, but high level, they'll tell you if you're committing or not to too much. That's one thing you could certainly get to from them. Take a look and see if across the board, they do kind of, instead of the burn down going like this as the days go on, they it kind of starts going up every day, more and more work. And then maybe at the end it plateaus and at the end they drop when they drop all the stories. I see this situation yeah. all over the place, the burn down that goes up or it doesn't go down until the end of the sprint. And they ask, why are they slow? Why do they have so much free carryover? And this is why, yeah. because they're not doing that for, for a whole bunch of reasons. It ultimately boils down to that, but the data is there still, despite very compelling data like that, that they can prove to themselves that they're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. They won't make the move because ultimately at the end of the day, someone's got to go and say, we're not doing everything. We will get more done if we say no to some stuff or not now to yeah. some stuff. People would have to be bought into it. And even if you incentivize teams by your ability to meet your commitment instead of like how many points you did, they would just game the system to, to commit as low as possible so that they could always hit their commitment. If I'm taking a very theory X version of looking at that, since I'm right. wearing my negativity cap at the moment. Um, all right. So how would you explain what your company does in contrast to what the other companies you've worked at do? Because I mean, you, you mm-hmm. founder of BV, Big Visible, um, mm-hmm. and, and on behalf of all of us, thank you for giving us a home for so long. Um, and <laughs> and you work part of it. Oh, it's it's a wonderful was a wonderful experience and worked at SIQ for a while and you've been on your own for a while too mm-hmm. but how does adaptivity um how is it different than what you've done in the past oh okay there are a lot of ways um similar to what we've been talking about what we're signing on to 
um, is a little bit different. Okay. Well, we'll be, yes, it might be that the um, impetus for us helping out a company, you know, the request was something along the lines of improving a process or, or this sort of thing. But um, what will, what we'll be very clear about is that um, when we introduce something new, a particular practice, a particular process, we examine something, we're going to learn some things. And our way is to always be working with the client and their leaders to examine what's going on and potentially adjust what we're focusing on the things that we're doing. When we realize that the, the outcome uh, is not going to be achieved by what they originally were asking for. So in other words, the outcome orientation is a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because it's more, it, it, again, it's more about the results they get. Uh, it, it actually is great for risk management because you don't have to know if you're a leader, you're a manager in a company, you don't have to know whether or not the thing is going to solve your problem because we're going to be talking about, Hey, we're going to help you solve this problem. Okay. And you might not even know what the right problem is and we'll help you figure out, is that actually the right problem too? So I think that's the biggest difference is that, so we'll, we'll wind up going in different directions. Yeah. The other is that our people have to be more broadly knowledgeable. Okay. Uh, agile specialists, not sufficient. They have to be able to do a whole bunch of things. Uh, agility, of course, sure. agile stuff, of course, lean theory of constraints, leadership concepts, uh, change cultural things. There's a whole list of them. Not everybody will know all of them, but that people have to be more broad in general so that they can go into any, and they won't go into it with dogma. Okay. Uh, in mind. So I want to come back to that in a second, but um, with what you just said about the company, it sounds to me like um, you're kind of targeting a niche range of customers, somebody who's who's willing to sign up for you saying, we're here, we'll help you look at the thing and we'll figure out a solution. We might find that the problem isn't the problem you think it is. It might be something totally different but we will be your partner on this journey of understanding how to improve the health or whatever it is of your organization. Is that, is that my getting that pretty close to it? That is one of, that is kind of like the customer that's already ready customer. That's a little rare. Um, the one that's more common is the customer that needs to improve and believes they know how they're going to, how they need to improve. They believe they know where their biggest problems are. They know what kind of medicine Um, they need in the drugstore. More or less. Yeah. And, and the thing, the thing about how we'll start there is well, we believe they're never perfectly right. Sure. So we'll talk about that. We'll make that okay. So we're kind of eating our own dog food. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to learn. That's yeah. kind of what we do. Um, and then be open to changing and continuing to re to, um, re-examine how that's going. Have we achieved the outcomes? Do we think we need to shift? What's the, what kind of results are we getting? What kind of things are we bumping into that are making this difficult. So now we can write that down and say, you know what, there seems to be a, a problem here. The, the managers in general don't understand leading okay. self-organizing teams. They're very used to doing this. So now we can start inventorying that and assessing it and deciding. Um, I think that is a, a difference. So, Oh yeah. So you were, you were saying about the types of clients. So I think that the client base is actually broader okay. because in, in, in the, in the customer base, yeah, yeah. In the past, it was about people who were looking for Agile. And at, at, at one time, that was a lot of people. So yeah. now it's less people or fewer people. Um, however, now it's anyone who needs to improve and realizes it's hard. So to, to offer like a dumbed down version of it, simple as I can, uh, I have a company and we need to make cheeseburgers faster so we can sell more cheeseburgers. And you're going to come yep. in and help us figure out how to do that. 
with the understanding that if you discover something else along the way, like, oh, we're actually making enough cheeseburgers, it's our marketing that's the problem, that you're going to help us yeah. discover that, and then we can work on that problem. So you that means that from the time you walk in the door, you're having to build that trust and that conversation the whole way through, which is why you need yes. all those different tools that you talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a team so we can leverage each other's skills because no one has all the skills. No one knows everything. Right. So, uh, and that's a key thing too, is that the people in our organization know that they don't know everything. <laughs> so okay. they're willing to learn and they want to learn. But, you, um, but you've got yes. a bunch of people who are experts in certain areas and you work well together so you can leverage each other's strengths. Yeah. And then we have partners too who are experts in other areas as well. Uh, so okay. that that's always good too. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a huge, that's a very very big difference. And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes customers are right. What they needed is what they needed, and we'll do that too. But the difference is, instead of just doing that thing, coming in and doing that training, or introducing this process and getting the teams up to speed with it, or getting the leaders up to speed with it, we'll also be helping them to do that inventory and saying, "What's the next thing?" Yeah. Uh, so at the very and, least, and you're going to test out their solution and help them learn more about mm -hmm. what's wrong along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. More often than not, we wind up pivoting pretty quick, but uh, it doesn't. There are there are some cases like someone we've been working with for a long time. Uh, thinking of a particular leader who uh, I've worked with myself for many years, they they kind of know. Uh, so usually we'll go in and we'll see. In, in their case, yeah. we'll go in and we'll probably do. They're probably right. We'll do what they you know ask to do. And but the thing that we'll also do is we'll have time that they don't have to look at everything and say, hey, you know, this this thing here seems ah. to be a problem. Were you aware of that? They're so busy leading and doing yeah. their strategy and whatnot that that they might not have time to do that. So it's another kind of- Another set uh, of eyes sense. that can see more stuff that yeah. knows other things to look for. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you talked about all the different um, skills and stuff that people have to have. Could you kind of walk through I'm thinking of people that are looking for work or that are trying to make sure that in the future they're better positioned to be versatile enough in the different skills they have to have to be f valuable in the workforce. Like, What are the kinds of things that you're, or knowledge areas that you focus on the most? Oh, wow. Okay. That's a great one. I think that... Well, let me, let, let me, let me, let me add to it. Um, areas that may not be already in their pocket, like they... I know you as somebody who's like very deeply knowledgeable about systems thinking. And I would have said 10 years ago, that was sort of a rarity in people. Now a lot of people have an idea of what it is. It's more common, but like what kinds of things like that, what, what do they need to brush up on? Oh, wow. Great question. So I'm going to apply that to the folks who are on my team now and ones who likely will be in the near future. So I'm going to use their example. It's not a complete answer. It's just sure, folks yeah. those folks. Might be a good sample. Um, so uh, some examples are uh, a lot of the people in our industry are very focused on process and process improvement. Mm -hmm. So we'll have a lot of that, but they won't be as familiar with things like uh, organizational psychology. Okay. Uh, to your point, they might not be uh, they not, might not be familiar with things like systems thinking and complexity. Um, to me, the most important thing about systems thinking is really. Um, thinking holistically mm -hmm. about success and these other things. It might not be familiar to them. Um, understanding motivation, people in conflict, uh, leadership. Okay. What uh, about what specific aspects of leadership? Because you've mentioned that a couple of times. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that uh, for the stuff that we've been getting into and we probably will continue to get into, it would be how do we redefine or continue to improve what we believe leadership and what we believe management are uh, so that it's appropriate for what my company needs to be, what uh, any okay. company needs to be. So it's it's more about, there's a lot about learning. Um the, the specific practices are some of the ones that you mentioned. I want, I would love for every manager in the companies I work with to understand things like constraints, okay. how do things get slowed down to understand how to lead uh, an organization of people that can self-organize and learn for themselves. Um, all of that. So some of it is just one step away from agile and yeah. a lot of it is just good leadership. Okay. Um, uh, inspiring, uh, things like, uh, if you want some actual paradigm names, things like, uh, intent-based leadership. Okay. Um, then also then these are, these are ways to lead. And then there's also some more of the interior stuff like growth mindset, the WEC stuff. Um, and, and the list goes on. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that's kind of yeah. the stuff I was looking for, like examples of the kinds of things, which I do see the, all of those things. Um, becoming more common not all of them i mean i would yeah. love for more people to be like familiar with um turn the ship around and leadership as language and stuff like that um oh i love that mm -hmm. but hopefully i love that those, frame for leadership yeah. yeah i mean hopefully that's do you think that as people become more knowledgeable and experienced in those things like theory of constraints that it's gonna raise all all the boats you know the thing about the, the tide raises all ships like what is the business space going to mature from being a 17 year old that thinks it knows what's going on to maybe a 20 year old that kind of has it together uh <clears throat> i think it's possible um to me that the problem you're the, the one bringing the hope man come on I know. I mean, I know it's possible. Um, will it happen industry-wide, worldwide? Yeah. In time, I'm sure it will in some way. What will happen, though, is it going to be way better or worse or the same or the same level of goodness or not uh, that, that we have now? Not sure, okay. but if people learn more about things like we're talking about, yeah. then there's more likelihood that it would be better. Okay. Um, so uh, I believe that to get really specific, I think middle management, I'm using a fairly general term, yeah. anyone between like a supervisory level manager all the way. Anybody who self-identifies when they read a Dilbert cartoon. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All the way on up to like VP level leaders that yeah. execs that are, that are making uh, strategic decisions and whatnot. Those folks are like preserving the ways of thinking of the past. Yeah. It's like an army that's protecting its uh, its 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 country, um, and its country is old ways of thinking, bureaucracy, and the processes and structures that exist right now in their organization, um, and the rules. Just like we said before, yeah. that very senior leader I spoke about, who said, "I cannot say, yeah, I cannot look bad by saying, hey, we can't get everything done by this date, so I'm not going to do it." That person is preserving that organizational unwritten rule mm -hmm. that you don't say no, you don't yeah. say not now. Yeah. Do you think it's generational? So that has to change. That has to change. We have to change middle management to do this. Is it generational? Do. do you think? Well, that's that's one of the things I was going to say exactly was that is that the newer gener the younger generations don't really think that way. 
Right. Um, so it might be over time, it might, you know, dilute itself and, and eventually go away. Problem is, I don't know way, the, what way they do think uh, <laughs> that's going to replace it. I, I, so Gen X, bit, I don't know what those kids are thinking. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of both. So I, I think that there's there's some good things I see about wanting to have purpose and all that. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. But it seems a little idealistic at times as well. So uh, They probably said the know. same about it, us when we were younger. Totally. Totally. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. I just think we could short circuit, you know, shortcut this process by starting to acknowledge it. Hey, yeah. we do need to be more purpose driven. I, as a middle manager, need to be connected to my company's purpose and the things I'm doing should help that, yeah. not get in the way of that like I'm doing right now. Okay. That's something we could do right now. I've seen people do it. So this is a very noble thing that you're on, like a path that you're on in that you're trying to raise awareness and take a like a more honest, more mindful approach to this stuff. But I would imagine that there's a lot of places that they're not ready for that message yet. I mean, that's that's got to be like they don't want um if they're not there, they're not ready for the message. Right. So Okay. Yeah. So it's everybody. Um, that's, that's what we are. Uh, we aspire to become better at and we're becoming better at how do we help them realize it? Okay. While we're there. So this is what, now I'm going to switch back over to the whole part of the conversation mm-hmm. in that, in that, I, that kind of in that frame, um, there's got to be times when either somebody leading a company or somebody just deals with other humans that aren't ready to take that level of view. Um, what gives you hope? Like what inspires you? How do you, how do you keep yourself? Like I'm on the path. How do you, how do you keep from being like, all right, screw it. We'll just give you Jira and it'll be fine. Yeah. It's, it's, it can be very frustrating. Um, and when you're running a small business that's growing, you can't be too picky about, you know, which problems you solve and which you don't. Right. Now, we've been doing this stuff for a long time, so we could be a little more picky than we were back in the And you guys all have reputations that precede you. So people, yeah. when you look, if, if they bring you in the room, they kind of know, I would imagine, a lot of time what, what they're walking into. Sometimes, yeah, that, that helps for sure. How do you how do you stay hopeful? Like how do you? Yeah, that's and that is a that's a practice we have to constantly get better at. How do you find the hope when you know in this organization the thing you're introducing is probably going to get squashed because we're not tackling this yeah. organizational problem over here? We know it. I've that's been the work that I've been doing for many years now. Maybe about halfway through my through my career, something like twelve years ago or right. so, I started really recognizing. We're having great effect here in this bubble that we've created in the organization. It's having, it's doing everything they want to do. And I know that there's <laughs> politics going on outside of that bubble. And I know they're not changing yeah. this governance over here. And I know they're not, this part of the org here is not also not changing. So it's only a matter of time before that bubble goes away. And the leader who's preserving the bubble, bubble we'll get gets a promotion yeah. or goes to another company and they're gone and the bubble goes away. Yeah. So at time and time again, about 12 years ago, I just got tired of it. So I started shifting my work to try to find ways to, uh, to do what we're talking about okay. and to sh- sneak, for lack of a better word, sneak in these more, Im- more impactful kinds of things well, you're- to help those leaders say, hey, notice this yeah. and make better and better realizations. And not only make the realizations, because most of the time, these things that they that they find that are the real problems are ones that they have no power over or not enough power over. Right. What do they do then? 
they can throw their hands up and say, oh, I have no power over that. That's just our culture. Yeah. Or they can do something about it. And there are things you can do. I think that's the area that most that that most companies don't have those kinds of answers. And how do you do something about stuff you have no power over? So you're, instead of creating the bubble, working on creating a system that can support the bubble within the larger antagonistic environment it may live in. Yeah. Ideally, ideally the bubble doesn't need to be a bubble anymore. Um, oh. It's the thing. Okay. So uh, the, I, I like the bubble because it's kind of this protected separate yeah, yeah. space. Um, and it I will eventually get popped by somebody. <laughs> well, yeah. So if uh, I, I sometimes use when I'm working with leaders, a more of a, a kind of a, a ship analogy. We have this ship here and it's really slow and it's big and we need these smaller fast ships over here where we need a faster ship that's more lean. Okay. So let's start building that. And the people who are on that ship, they don't have to follow the rules that are on this ship over here. Yeah. Anymore. They're separate. So it's the same. It's the bubble in a ship form. Okay. And we're moving more and more people over it. So ideally something happens. Now, unfortunately, because most companies are massive that we work with anyway, and, uh, and, uh, it's hard to do that across a very massive org across all the leaders. We usually wind up doing it in a particular business unit and the business unit leader within a few years often finds a promotion or whatever goes for another company. So unless you're doing the work to start, uh, the change work, which is a big part of what we do now to, uh, help the narratives get out there. Yeah and gain more support and gain more people interested in having their own fast ship like this, uh, then it's going to go away. Um, the hope is why, how do I maintain hope when it's a pretty tough situation to be in that and to know you're introducing something that's probably going to go away. Well, by finding better ways for it not to go away so that the person who is leading it or the people who we are helping can actually either keep it going themselves have a path to doing that. That's, that's ideal. Or if they don't, they have something that's now part of how they operate. So there's another manager out there, another VP or another CXO who, who has now adopted a new way themselves and wherever they go, they're going to take that with them. And now we're slowly doing something about it. Okay. That's the work. That's the more longer term. So I have one final question before we wrap it up, kind of building on your ship thing. Um, With agile as a case study, it worked small teams, and it's it, to me it, it starts to break apart when you apply it to the whole ship, right? So, is mm-hmm. it is part of the problem that we're trying to say like somebody's on the deck of the aircraft carrier saying, "You see that little boat down there? I want to move as fast as that boat, be as nimble as that boat." But you're on an aircraft carrier; you can't. I mean, do we have to just accept that not everything's going to be super fast and flexible? Um, no, I don't think it's that quite that black and white. This is, this is one of the problems we run into all the time, uh, is how people think a little bit differently than the kind of the, the black and white with these things. Um, first of all, when I think of agile, I do think more about the principles and I think of the specific methods like scrum and XP and all that scrum and XP are methods that are meant for single out of the box, meant for single teams for sure. That's why when we talk to companies, we're like agility in different contexts looks different okay on a team that's building a product yeah it looks a lot like scrum or xp or both ideally um in a hr group that isn't doing a lot of team-based work yeah maybe they're doing in uh, or whatever or or in a call center where you don't have a lot of team-based work you have more responses and getting the right answers and forgetting the right people agility looks a lot different over there okay so so then i would say that agility applies to any context, what doesn't apply to any context is Scrum, XP, okay. 
Awesome. Great. Oh, great. So that's the kind of distinction we use more or less. And then there's lots of other things too. Like we mentioned some of those other frameworks and other things that are useful in some of those areas too. Okay, cool. Um, is there anything that we have not talked about that people should know about adaptivity before we put a fork in it? Ooh. What do you want people to know? Yeah. I think this is a good start. I, I think uh, really what I would love for people to know is that we're, our, our purpose really is to have greater impact in the world, help the companies that we work with have greater impact and realize the vision that they have about who they want to be. Yeah. Um, while doing that, we're going to do things like introduce methods of different kinds and there will be some training here and there will be some coaching here and there will be some workshops and we're going to roll up our sleeves and do some things here. It's going to involve a whole bunch of things like that. But what's most important is that we're here joining you to figure out <clears throat> where it is we want to be next and adjusting our plans so that we can get there and test the results and, and continue, continue to learn together. Cool. Thank you. Well, if people want to learn more about you and the company, so they can go mm -hmm. to adaptivitygroup.com and there'll be the yep. QR code on the screen. But what about getting in touch with you? What's the best way to do that? Well, I think LinkedIn is probably pretty good. Okay. G Schlitz. I'll have a link to it in the show notes and they'll be able to just click on the QR code as well too. Cool. Well, dude, thank you very yeah, much. I have some writing coming out on this on this topic or related topics, and I did I did a few of them earlier, uh, actually last year, mid last year around. Uh, I called it "Addicted to More," that more M O R E, yeah, yeah, that problem um, of organizations valuing just more stuff. They're not really valuing customer outcomes or right? what's really making the decisions is to give me more. Yeah, well, I'll put, I'll put a more. link yeah. to that in the in the show notes as well, so people can check it cool. out too. All right, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. This was, this was fun. It was great talking to you. My guys. pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah.